1: from KQED From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum We're in year three of what's shaping up to be the worst drought in state history. The first four months of 2022 were the driest on record, partly because of a monumentally dismal snowpack. But California's cities and towns are not doing a great job conserving water. And in some places, we're using more water than we did a year ago. This hour, we look at why and hear what's working in another place, Las Vegas, which was forced to come to grips two decades ago with a future of less water. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. California is in the grip of extreme drought, and we're heading into a hot, dry summer with low reservoir storage. But we sure aren't acting like it. Not only are we missing our water conservation targets, we're using more water. A new report this week from the State Water Resources Control Board finds L.A. and coastal parts of Southern California used 26 percent more water in April than it did a year ago. And urban areas in the state as a whole used 17 percent more water. Here to help us understand what's going on is Heather Cooley, Director of Research at the Pacific Institute, a water policy think tank. Heather, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. So Heather, first, how bad is the drought in California right now?
2: Yeah, California once again finds itself in a severe drought, in the third year of a severe drought, and it's really the second severe drought we've had in 10 years, uh, which is, is a symptom of a warming climate. Um, You know, precipitation was about half of average across the state, but... January, you know, the first four months, January, February, March, and April were the driest on record. Um, So when you say on record, in how many years? It goes back about 150 years. Oh my God. Um, So yeah, it's definitely record-breaking. And and the swings that we saw, right, we had that very intense rainfall um, in November and December, and then it, it just dried up for the rest of the year. So all
1: that rain that we got at the end of last year was negated by the first few months of 2022?
2: Well, it was it was helpful um certainly and and we were able to capture that much of that water. Um the challenge though is we typically get most of our rainfall in those first few months in that January, February and then into March. And so the fact that those were dry is just was was very challenging and and really set us set us back dramatically. Um, snowpack also was about forty percent of average, um, and it melted earlier. Uh, it, and it had less runoff than expected. Really, the, the upstream areas are were drier, and so they're using that water. We lost more water to evaporation um, than we were expecting.
3: Mm.
2: Um, and you know, now as they stand the reservoirs, it varies from reservoir to reservoir depending on where you are in the state. But they're about half half full. Um, but again, the fact that the snowpack has already melted uh, indicates they're not going to be getting more water, um, and in fact, they'll be going down. Uh, we'll 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 see as as water use increases, as that as that as that water is then allocated, um, those reservoirs will will continue to decline um, throughout the throughout the summer.
1: Mm. And yet, we're really not conserving water, as I mentioned in my introduction. If anything, the latest reports from the state are showing that overall. We're even using more water than last year, and by we, I mean, I mean cities. So we're going in the wrong direction
2: huh? yes. um and and you know, I th- back last July, Governor Newsom called for a voluntary fifteen percent reduction in water use. Um, but through the end of April, we've really seen if you look at the cumulative savings, we've only cut about two percent. Um, well below the fifteen percent requested, uh, and in fact, as you noted, in March and April, water use increased um, by just under twenty percent in each of those months. and some in some areas, a lot a lot worse. So we're we're certainly trending in in the wrong direction.
1: Um, and yeah, I should note when I say water use increase, we're talking about urban water use, not agricultural use. And of course, we fully understand that ag water. Um, at Forum is a crucial part of the equation in California, and we'll cover that. But today's conversation is really looking at where most Californians live. But just remind us, how much water is allocated for urban use in California? Yeah, generally about
2: 20% of, of water use or human water use in California is urban. Uh, Eighty Agriculture accounts for the other 80%. Um, so it, it is predominantly agriculture, but it but, you know, and, and there are certainly things we can and must be doing to reduce that use. Um, there are agricultural impacts happening, um, but but we we all need to be doing our part. Um, we have opportunities in our in our cities, uh, in our urbanized areas to to be doing more, and we and we need to do more.
1: What does most of the water go to in urbanized areas? Yeah,
2: great great question. Um, about half of water use is landscapes. Uh, So half of the water we're using in our urban areas is used outdoors. um, And and a lot of that is going towards water intensive lawns. Uh, So, you know, another way to sort of slice and uh, slice and dice water use, um, about two thirds of that Uh, is residential, and then a third is is these non-residential. So think of commercial businesses, um, industrial uses, and even our institutions, our schools, our hospitals, uh, government. Um, But, you know, I think a key thing to keep in mind, um, as, as I mentioned, is about half of it's going for landscapes. Uh, and so, as we think about our opportunities to reducing use, we have to talk about opportunities to transform our urban landscapes.
1: yeah, well, the the crazy catch twenty two is is the drier it gets, the more people use water for their landscapes, right? Like the less water we have that's available, the more the demand. Absolutely. And, and that I think is one
2: of the issues behind the numbers that we just saw in March and April. As I, yeah. as I mentioned, March was dry, April was dry. They were also relatively hot months. Uh, and so people started irrigating much earlier than they would have. And so that I think is one of the main drivers. It's, it's not the only driver, um, but, but it is an important one.
1: We're talking with Heather Cooley, Director of Research at the Pacific Institute, about the drought in California and water conservation or or lack of it. Uh, And listeners, you're invited to join the conversation if you want to share, if you're trying to conserve water and how you're doing it. And if you're not, why not? Uh, You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at forum. You can give us a call at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. So that was one of the reasons, Heather clue that you were saying that it was dry, so people used more water to be able to irrigate their landscapes. What are some of the other reasons? Because it feels like Californians, especially if these numbers are true, are, are basically ignoring the drought.
2: <laughs> yes, um, I, I think it's it's a combination of issues. Um I think another issue is that the the messaging around the drought has been inconsistent. Uh, in some areas, we've heard, "Well, we're okay. We, you know, we don't need to conserve yet." Um, I, I, so I I think we could be doing more of Communicating with people about the severity of the drought and and the tangible things that we can be doing to reduce use, um, I think the reality is most people are pretty removed from where their supplies come from. We're importing water from areas in some cases hundreds of miles away. We don't see what the reservoirs are looking like, uh, mm. and so I think I think that's a part of it. People have become really disconnected um, from their watersheds and their water sources. Uh, As I mentioned, I think the messaging is an issue, and and the hotter, drier uh, conditions, I think, are a factor. And as we think about climate change, and and we know that that, that, climate change is water change, um, we are going to see hotter and drier conditions in California. And so we have to be uh, even more mindful about our use and do what we can to be using the water we have efficiently.
1: Do you think this notion of drought fatigue
2: is a real thing? You know, I'm not sure. Um, To be honest, I I think there's been the messaging has not been there. We haven't, you know, the the last drought we, we certainly heard. This message of we're all in this together. We all need to cut our use. And I think people responded to that. And, and I haven't heard that messaging uh, coming out of this drought. And so I, I, I don't think people think we're all in this together, unfortunately. Um, and so I, we have to be doing better um, and, and, and providing people with real tools um, and, and information they can use to reduce their use.
1: Well, we've got some calls coming in. Let me go to Jerome in Alameda. Hi, Jerome.
0: Hi. I just wanted to interject um, something everyone can do. Go to the dollar store, get a bucket, put it in your shower, collect that water for the shower every morning before it gets hot, and then you can uh, put it in the garden. If everybody did that, it it would certainly add up to help.
1: Well, Jerome, thanks for that tip. How are people doing with regard to indoor water use? Uh, I know we talked a lot about landscaping, but are we also not being great about that too heather well uh, we we
2: recently Pacific Institute recently completed a study looking at the opportunities for reducing our our urban water use and and we find significant opportunities outdoor uh, But we also find significant opportunities inside our homes and businesses. So we've made a lot of improvements. Many people now, and and in fact, new developments are required to have efficient appliances, efficient toilets and shower heads. Uh, and, and, and faucets. Um, but the reality is we have a lot of old housing stock and a lot of old appliances that are still in use. Um, we could be doing much better. Uh, we can be replacing those and should be replacing those devices and putting in lower water use uh, models. Um, that will help us save water. Many of those devices, our our showerheads, for example, our clothes washers, also save energy. Um, and so, you know, they can help us meet our energy goals. They can help us reduce our household utility bills. There, there are many many benefits of reducing our indoor use as well.
1: Well, this listener writes: If people stop caring, we're screwed. What are the most effective ways to get people to change their behavior? Money incentives, policy? What do you think,
2: Heather? I, I think it's all of the above. Um, I think there's an there's an education and outreach component. Um, Again, communicating about the severity and the things that they can do. Um, There are incentives, uh, and many utilities do provide their customers with incentives for new new devices, new rebates, for example, for toilets and shower heads, even for some leak detection uh, devices that can can put on their meters. Um, And regulations. Um, So, you know, I think we need all the tools in the toolbox. Um, Our water management challenges in California are severe. Um, they were severe before climate change really started manifesting, and and we are seeing the impacts of climate change happen faster than we had anticipated, and 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 much worse than we had expected.
1: We're talking with Heather Cooley, director of research at the Pacific Institute, and you, our listeners, are joining the conversation. How are you trying to conserve water? What are your questions about the water? water challenges, management challenges that Heather Cooley is talking about. And if you're not conserving, why not? You can tell us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You can call us, 866-733-6786. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow, our amazing anuses. Atlantic staff writer Catherine Wu calls the anus an evolutionary marvel in her piece that'll be in this year's Best American Science and Nature Writing. Wu also points out that social taboos around talking about parts of the body we find embarrassing can create blind spots about our own biology. Is this you? Do you avoid talking about Uranus anus or use euphemisms? If so, we'd love to hear what they are. What euphemisms do you or your family use to talk about body parts or bodily functions? You can email forum at kqed.org or leave a voicemail at 415-553-3300. Today, we're talking about California's drought and how few of us seem to be taking it as seriously as we need to. We're talking with Heather Cooley, Director of Research at the Pacific Institute. And now I'd like to bring in Colby Pellegrino for a little outside counsel. Colby Pellegrino is Deputy General Manager of Resources for the Las Vegas Valley Water District and the Southern Nevada Water Authority, where for decades they've been able to get residents and businesses to take water conservation seriously. Colby Pellegrino, welcome to Forum.
5: Hi, Mina. Thank you for having me.
1: Really glad to have you. So can you give us an overview of the water situation right now in Las Vegas? Where you get your water, how much you have?
5: Sure. So Southern Nevada is primarily reliant on the Colorado River. We get over 90% of our supply um, for the 2.3 million people that live here directly from Lake Mead. And the Colorado River is experiencing um, historic drought conditions. This last 22 years is the driest 22 years on record, Hmm. even when we look back over 1,500 years into the tree ring records. And um, it has led to the first ever federally declared shortage on the Colorado River. Uh, That's our operating condition for 2022. And unfortunately, the outlook is not much better. We're expected to move into deeper tiers of shortage next year. Um, And with both Lake Powell and Lake Mead, the primary storage reservoirs being as low as they are, uh, we anticipate that the, the normal from here is going to be Uh, continued supply reductions.
1: So I understand, yes, that supply has been reduced by about 10%, but that you're still not using the full water supply.
5: That's true. Southern Nevada has sort of taken the approach that we want to be ahead of the game when it comes to the future reductions they're facing. We would like to always try to manage our demands within the supply that we know is going to be available. um, So we can avoid having to take um, emergency actions in the year of a supply reduction. Uh, I think we realize we may not always have to do that, um, but as we sit today, our allocation of river water is 300,000 acre feet. Um, We are currently using about 242,000 acre feet. And our reduced supply this year is about 279,000 acre feet. So we have a little bit of buffer from our current use to our reduced supply, uh, but that might not always be the case. So we're continually advancing our water conservation policy to ensure that we can try and stay ahead of the water supply shortages that we may face in the future.
1: One of the things that I found so striking about uh, Las Vegas and Southern Nevada is that Your water consumption, it declined as your population grew. Can you talk about that?
5: Yes. So Southern Nevada really ramped up our water conservation programs um, at the beginning of this century. Uh, If we look at the year 2002, that was our peak uh, water use ever. Um, And since that time, our population has grown by 750,000 people And our water use has decreased overall by 26 percent and nearly by half if we look at per capita water use since that time. So we've been able to, through successful urban conservation, continue to grow and diversify our economy um, while using less water.
1: We're talking with Colby Pellegrino, Deputy General Manager of Resources at Las Vegas Valley Water District and the Southern Nevada Water Authority. Can you talk about the journey your city took to arrive at the place that you are now? You called 2002, I think, a gut check year. Why? What happened then? Why was that the turning point?
5: So I think 2002, I mentioned, was our peak water use year. Uh, Within the laws that govern the river, we actually took more than our allocation of water that year. Um, And it was the single driest year on record on the Colorado River. Uh, We were already beginning to ramp up our conservation programs, but I think just the juxtaposition of Uh, really rapidly growing water demands and really challenging and unexpected water supply uh, reductions hit both at the same time. Uh, There was a lot of low hanging fruit in the Valley at that time, but we really started a multifaceted approach of essentially um, changing development code so that new development has a smaller water footprint as well as putting together incentive programs and uh, monitoring programs to keep existing uses where they should be.
1: Well, we've got calls coming in. Let me go to Sean in Los Altos. Hi, Sean.
6: Hello. I just wanted to share two things. First, uh, thank you so much for raising the awareness on this. I come from a place uh, in India, you know, like where water was really scarce. So it's part of the culture. Uh, the number one thing is, I think, education, and I think we kind of talk about this topic as if it's just limited to the grown-ups, but I think even kids need to know about this. Mm. If you, uh, you know, I'm sure if I ask my daughter, who's 10 year old, where does the water come from, she's going to say, it comes from the tap. And so, uh, you know, I think uh, all of us have equal responsibility. That, you know, it's, it's not that the kids are doing anything wrong. No one told them, or no one gave them education on where is this coming from. And I don't see a future where we'll have plenty of water. So I think it needs to begin uh, with the kids. And, of course, like grown-ups have to play their role. I'll just share a couple of simple tips. Uh, number one is um, uh, in your sink in the bathroom, I have my valve turned to the right a couple of notches. And so that automatically reduces the amount of flow of water coming out of the faucet. So that saves water without even you realizing that you're saving water, that's number one. Number two, which is very aggressive, and, you know, my American friends will laugh at me, but it is very common in India to take your bucket full of water and be done with it, uh, you know, like when you're showering, you're not using the shower per se, but you're using bucket full of water, and you can buy a bigger bucket if you wanted to, but that's the amount of water you have for your shower, not limitless, just flowing through the mm-hmm. shower for like twenty minutes or half an hour which is which is something I see my kids do, which is you know uh, um i'm I get furious about these things uh, anyways, I just you can tell I'm passionate about this topic, yeah, uh, thank you well, for, uh, well
1: about it. Sean, thanks for all that you do and for sharing those tips with regard to water conservation um and we have. A lot more listener tips coming in. Jill writes, my water conservation includes using my laundry water several times before I discharge or manually divert to my yard. I started this practice during the last drought. Can we start using non-potable water in our yards? I will buy a tank, put it in my pickup, go get water and give it to my fruit trees. I'm already used to baling water by hand. Uh, Heather Cooley, what about that in terms of uh, non-potable water in yards? Jill is asking about buying a tank and, you know, Buying that water to use on landscaping and trees. Yeah, there are a couple options we we can use. I mean, first, I think and
2: foremost, it's about putting in the the right plants in our yard, uh, making you know replacing turf, which uses grass, which uses a lot of water, and putting in low water use California native plants. I think that that is critically important, and then. Irrigating that efficiently using drip irrigation, for example, or even some of the micro spray micro sprinklers we have. Um, in addition to that, we are seeing people use their laundry water, um, sort of, uh, and then and then some of the rinse water, for example, and using that in their landscapes. Um, we can be collecting rainwater, for example, in barrels um, and and using that to help reduce um, outdoor water use. I think those those strategies can be very effective. Um, the, another thing mulch, you know, building up our soil structure so that it holds on to the water. And then putting mulch will help reduce evaporation there. There are lots of things we can be doing on our landscapes. Um, And I do think it's important to know, you know, when we talk about a transformation of our landscapes and and that need, it's not transforming it to to rocks and and into bark. Um, There are a a variety of beautiful plants uh, that we have. Again, native plants, uh, plants adapted to a Mediterranean climate um, that are colorful, that are vibrant. uh, They're providing habitat uh, for pollinators, for birds, um, for other insects. So there are many benefits uh, that we will see when we transform our landscapes to these more sustainable gardens.
1: Well Gail writes, Can you recommend a drought tolerant ground cover that's suitable for children, pets, et cetera, to use for recreation, Heather? There there are many.
2: Um I would encourage People to go to their garden store uh, and 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 ask about what types of plants they have. I, I do think one of the things we saw from the last drought, we are seeing more and more shops um, uh, stock low water use plants um, and alternatives. Uh, in 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 on 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 the website of your water utility, they often have a lot of tools available, um, templates that people are using for for their for their landscapes. So there are a lot more resources that that we now have that can support people in this effort.
1: Well, this listener writes, I live on the central coast, and I'm not convinced there's a terrible drought here. I believe the drought is serious when I see my neighboring golf course go brown, when the McMansion developments stop going in, and when the new vineyards, groves, and orchards stop going in. Let me go to caller Mike in Oakley. Hi, Mike.
3: Hi. A couple of, two things. Uh, One, based on the 2013 drought, we pulled out both our front and backyard lawns went to shrubs and drip watering saved 47% over our 2013 usage and we've continued to save that much and now I get a note from my local agency that says I need to save 15% more over my 2020 usage 21 mm. usage uh there's no there seems like there's no incentive to help the people who actually spent the money to do the long term thing and the second item was you know we've heard a lot about how all the almond orchards have expanded since 2013. We grow 65% of the world's supply. What would happen to our water supply if the government with this surplus simply bought up the almond groves, prevented any more almonds from growing and how much water would we have if we did that? We don't need to supply the whole world with almonds.
1: Well, Mike, thanks for sharing that. And, you know, in the last comment and in the comment that we just heard from Mike Colby there is a lot of frustration at golf courses and ag water use. And I know I mean, for example, Las Vegas has a ton of golf courses. So how do residents and and businesses and industry get along? Like how do they figure out how to to work together? Uh, Because there's a lot of frustration and resentment for trying to do the right thing, but then feeling like what you're doing is just a drop in the bucket against all of these other things that are happening. In fact, I can read another comment. Bruce writes, to me, the issue of saving water is equity. As a low water user, I stopped caring about conserving beyond what little I use, as I read about all the heavy water users that do not seem to care. Also, my outdoor water is used to grow fruits and vegetables. That kind of watering should not be restricted.
5: Yeah, Uh, great question, Nina. That's something that we experience here. And the way that we tackle it is by making sure we touch all aspects of the community. Um, Our water waste and water conservation programs, we try to be holistic in our approaches. Our golf courses have been on water budgets um, since the beginning of this drought, where they're limited to 6.3 acre feet per irrigated acre because of those water budgets they're actually the largest adopters of our water smart landscape conversions when you look uh, on a sector basis they've removed enough golf from the courses here to create over eight new Um, golf courses just in the turf removed. Um, But we're lowering those water budgets still. Um, We just passed a resolution to lower them from six acre feet per acre down to four. Um, Water waste applies to golf courses as well. Um, But we regularly see exactly what these folks are talking about in our polling, um, that we lose people's individual desire to conserve if they feel like there isn't equity in solving the problem. Um, So no one is exempt. And in fact, um, we've um, taken that even further one example is our assembly our um, state legislature passed a law requiring non-functional turf so turf that serves no recreational purpose um, to be removed by 2026 because this is turf that's very easy to identify as you drive through our community think of turf in a traffic circle Um, think of the little strip of turf in a parking lot um, where no one is playing on it no one is looking at it but here in southern nevada that turf uses 73 gallons per square foot versus desert landscaping using 18 gallons per square foot. Um, so we we took that step to try and get that ban um, because it's something that, you know, everyday people when they're being asked to save at their house are going, why do I need to save at my house when this You know, strip mall down the street has been watering the sidewalk for the last 20 years uh, because they want that little two foot strip of grass. So I think um, being successful in doing conservation means making sure you're hitting every aspect of water conservation in the community.
1: Yeah, so there've been bans on laws in new residential. They're ripping out, in fact, by twenty twenty seven, th- those useless uh, grass areas, as you say, because they still require water. Heather, are you hearing anything in what Colby is saying that you think would not make sense for California? I-, I guess what I'm wondering is, Las Vegas has been able to do this really effectively. Is it a difference of of the the regions? You know, California is so much bigger; it has a, a different climate in some ways or is it really just that we're behind in adopting measures that do make sense for the state?
2: Well, I, I think in, in some ways we are behind. Um, I, I will say too, Let's if we take a step back, and, and California and the trend in water use in California is very similar to what we have seen in Las Vegas. So peak water use in California, urban use was in 2006, uh, and since that time we've seen a pretty dramatic reduction in use. Um, if you look at individual communities, cities like Los Angeles, for example, are using less water today than they did in the late 1970s, even with population growth. Um, you're seeing that in Southern California broadly. Many communities have seen this, and that is because of their investments in, in efficiency. Um, but what we find in our in our research is that we can do more, and, and with climate change um, uh, upon us, we, we have to do more. Um, one of the things, and there are a lot of lessons we can take, I think, from what Las Vegas has done, and that, and that we have, to some extent. Um, turf for for grass programs or grass for cash programs excuse me um that was something that las vegas really um uh, i think innovated on back in the late 1990s early 2000s and you are seeing those programs in california this is where we're paying people a dollar two dollars in some cases three dollars a square foot to take out their lawns and put in these low water use plants we also have requirements in new developments for their landscapes um, where they they have have to limit the amount of grass that they can have. Um, I do think, though, the step Las Vegas took to ban non-functional turfs, We haven't seen that yet in California, and I think that is something we can and, and must do.
1: Yeah, we're talking with Heather Cooley, Director of Research at the Pacific Institute, and also with Colby Pellegrino, Deputy General Manager of Resources at Las Vegas Valley Water District in the Southern Nevada Water Authority. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your thoughts on conservation or why it's hard to do or questions that you have about water management. 866 733 6786, that number. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram are where you can reach us at KQED Forum. Our email address is Forum. At KQED.org. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.
1: You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're learning about strategies that have worked in Las Vegas to conserve water with Colby Pellegrino, Deputy General Manager of Resources at Las Vegas Valley Water District, and with Heather Cooley. Uh, We're also learning from her, Director of Research at Pacific Institute, a water policy think tank about California's use of water and why we have struggled to meet conservation targets in this very severe drought that we're in right now, and listeners are writing in, Catherine writes, I'm a landscape designer in the Bay Area. Most of my jobs now involve removing lawns and replacing them with low water plants. Better education and messaging will have a great impact. Lush look on low water is possible. This was the point that you've been making, Heather, about you know trying to get that word out. But I also feel like, at least when I've been talking with people, that they don't feel like they're... Elected representatives, all the way from the state to local level, have really been sounding the alarm as loudly as, say, it was sounded during uh, the 2011 to 2015 drought. Do you think that's true? Do you think there's some truth in that?
2: Absolutely. <laughs> um, I, you know, I I think the the mandatory reduction, um, the the the. the I think it, I think it was effective. Uh, we saw a dramatic reduction. Um, people understood the severity of the drought, and and I, I I'm not feeling that. I'm not seeing that. We're not seeing it in the numbers either. Um, so you know I think we, we need to do better. And that that was my earlier comment about about messaging. Um, I, I also though think people don't always know the things that they can do. And, and I've heard a lot of great ideas from people from some of your callers and I, I and I want to you know acknowledge um, the, the efforts people have taken. I think one of your caller, callers mentioned that. There are, though, many people who haven't yet done those things uh, that, that need to be done. And, and, you know, there are some simple things we can do in our homes uh, that that can dramatically reduce our use um, that anyone can do. Renters, homeowners, you know, it's, it's we can go and replace our shower heads. Um, they use a tremendous amount of water. There are new models out there that use, you know, that can cut that use dramatically and save not only water, but energy. Um, faucet aerators again another simple very inexpensive thing we can put on our faucets all over our house um, that that can cut use Um, so so you know there are then the bigger things Um, replacing toilets for example uh, replacing clothes washers you know those things can 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 really cut use dramatically Um, what we find statewide urban use we could cut use by 30 to 48 percent with existing technologies and practices Um, so there's a lot more we can do
1: well colby i know that las vegas has taken a lot of steps with respect to indoor water use what have you learned about incentivizing that um, to really get people to recycle water too not just uh, use less of it
5: So our community is unique in that we're very close to Lake Mead. We're a very young community. So almost all of our indoor water use, uh, unless you're on a septic, is treated and returned to Lake Mead. So indoor water use does not impact the Colorado River if you live in Las Vegas. We essentially have um, nearly 100% reuse of all of our indoor water. So uh, the need to do indoor conservation um, for carbon footprint and reasons like that, uh, lowering your water bill is there regardless of where you live. But from a water resource perspective, how your community is making use of their effluent really matters on whether it's better for you to make investments indoors versus outdoors. And for our community, Um, it's always going to be Hmm. outdoors because of the way we treat and return all of our water to Lake Mead.
1: I'm surprised by how you also mentioned that people in Las Vegas basically see Lake Mead on a regular basis. And earlier in the program, Heather was talking about how we're a bit removed from our water sources. We don't see them. Plus, you know, California is very coastal, so we feel like we're constantly surrounded by water. I'm wondering if that you feel like does have a really significant impact psychologically, seeing your water source on a regular basis, Colby.
5: Yeah, the bathtub ring at Lake Mead is 167 feet tall right now. Um, So anybody that frequently recreates at Lake Mead or even somebody that visited there um, in the 90s and has gone back um, recently sees that striking drop. Um, that water levels have taken. I think the other thing that's um, really helpful, unfortunately, is the federally declared shortage. People get their information in many, many, many more ways now than they did 20 years ago. It's much harder for us to find um, our customers and get their message to them um, through traditional advertising methods. So, All of the raised awareness about the drought on the Colorado River, um, we call that earned media. It's essentially getting people to pay attention that sometimes we can't get to with our own messaging. But those visual indicators of drought are really important. And just to tie back to something you were talking about earlier, Heather was saying, you know, we're not talking about all rock landscaping. Um, But because our development code changed in 2004 to to not allow um, turf in front yards or turf in uh, anywhere essentially except schools and parks, um, that has made for newer areas of the community and revitalize areas of the community that have really beautiful desert landscaping for people to see. And I think that has a huge impact on getting people to change is having good examples of how you don't lose quality of life by making the changes that we're talking about.
1: Well, Andrew writes, while visiting the Virgin Islands, we noticed nearly every home using a roof water collection system, as well as a gray water recycling. Why are new homes and major renovations not required to install these measures? When will the building standards be updated to match the urgency of the situation? Similarly, Mark writes, could you talk about why local governments like here in Ventura County are not cutting back on building permits in light of the current water situation as they have done in past years? Heather any any movement in those areas these listeners are concerned and frustrated by Yeah and and understandably
2: um you know, I do think it's important to note, and, and Colby mentioned this as well, that that new developments are very efficient. Um, they have the most efficient appliances and fixtures. Um, they have limits on their landscaping, um, and and as we have shown in the past, uh, and and again, the scene that is in Las Vegas, we can grow and reduce our water use at the same time. Um, and part of that is is our our policies um, around that. So. I think we can still accommodate growth in California. We, we certainly have a housing shortage. Um, and, and as we continue to grow, we need to be providing housing for people. Um, so I, I do think we can do that if those developments are efficient. And if we get at that old housing stock, um, there are things that we can do like retrofit on resale ordinances, for example, where you require a retrofit. To, to more efficient devices when a, when, a, when a building or when a house is sold or even when it's leased. Um, we have seen communities do that. San Francisco requires that. Um, other other coastal areas have required it. it has been very effective. Um, there are also, I think, opportunities to be building denser developments. Um, we recently at Pacific Institute did some work with SPUR, um, looking at the Bay Area, and found we could grow uh, even out to 2070 um, while using less water if we're ensuring efficiency and denser developments, because in those denser developments, you have lower outdoor water use, you have less outdoor space, um, and that can be critical for allowing us to grow and reducing our use.
1: Well, Taylor writes, add a recirculating pump to your water heater or get a tankless water heater to avoid wasting water while it warms up in the shower and elsewhere in the home. Gwen writes, in the mid-80s and 90s, when we were into severe drought, I lived in Stockton for a year or two. The city put sandwich board signs on main intersections with our percentage reduction and updated it. This really brought it to my attention and made me want to contribute to the reduction. Jim writes, I have not made significant changes. Asking residents to... Reduce use by 15% when people only use 20% of our water supplies too much. 15 of 20 is three. The real impact comes from reclaiming water from agriculture. Are there limits, Colby, in Las Vegas to what people are willing to do? Where where are you hitting that limit potentially or or the most resistance at this point to things that you would like to do?
5: I would say that the low-hanging fruit and the, you know, Across the board, 100% love conservation programs are all things we've already implemented. Um, The next set of development limitations is stuff that a lot of people don't like. Um, In process right now, I mentioned golf course water budgets. We got a a little bit of pushback from the golf course community on that. Um, We're also um, in the process of going through the steps of trying to implement a pool size limitation. We've seen in the absence of being able to have green grass backyards that particularly our luxury developers have centered around homes with audacious pools and water features. Um, So we're looking at putting in a pool size limitation. Um, That's not very popular with luxury pool builders or luxury home buyers. Um, The same is true. We have passed a resolution to do a moratorium on evaporative cooling um, for the commercial space. So this is essentially cooling technology that has a big water footprint. Um, Our commercial real estate groups are against those things. They feel that they make us less competitive against other markets. Um, And unfortunately in that instance, the national um, environmental and social governance standards work against us because they only consider carbon metrics. They don't consider um, water scarcity at the local level as being uh, a trade-off in making a decision like that. So we are up against headwinds on the next generation of stuff that we implement. I think um, our job there is just to continue the education of why just like Heather said, we can continue to grow and diversify our economy. Our ability to do that is directly tied to the water footprint of every new thing we put in. And for Las Vegas, that means um, it can't have a big landscaping footprint, it can't have evaporative cooling, um, and it shouldn't have a septic system associated with it. So uh, I think That's true in a lot of communities. If we can minimize the footprint of growth, we can continue to grow and capitalize on conservation and be more sustainable.
1: Hmm. We're talking about coming to grips. With our water issues in California and hearing about the situation and the steps in Las Vegas with Colby Pellegrino, Deputy General Manager of Resources for the Las Vegas Valley Water District and the Southern Nevada Water Authority, Heather Cooley is with us, Director of Research for Pacific Institute, a water policy think tank. This is a fundraising period for many public radio stations. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Dorothea. Dorothea in Berkeley. Thanks for waiting.
6: Hi. Uh, I wanted to talk about fracking because you, you know, you're being very nice about giving us all these tips about how to conserve, but they're going to increase fracking in the whole country now because of the war in Ukraine. And they're thinking, well, we have to make more oil here. So we have these conflicting interests uh, that are really powerful. And the other thing I wanted to talk about was desalinization. We Really, we have a surplus budget, I think, still in California. So why not put mm. money into a desalinization plant? We've got one, but we could use some more. Thanks, so, Dorothy. Well,
1: Let's Heather, do first on desal.
2: Yeah. So th- this is a, a topic which which we've studied for a, a number of years uh, in in California and and seawater desalination. I mean, many as I think as you noted, we have a long shoreline. Why why aren't we building more? Um, And the reason is because it's expensive, um, it's energy intensive, and it has harmful impacts on our marine environment. Um, Many communities have considered it, uh, but have found that they have cheaper options available. And and those cheaper options, you know, we've talked quite a bit about conservation and efficiency, but recycled water is something else that, you know, we do in some places, but... Uh, It's much less expensive than seawater desalination, and and we could be doing far more of. Um, We're currently reusing about 24% of the wastewater we generate uh, in California. Most of our communities are built where uh, we we use the water once and we dump it. and, And because we're a coastal state, a lot of that is being dumped into the ocean where it's polluting. Uh, polluting the ocean. Um, we can be reusing that water, using it on landscapes, but increasingly we're seeing uh, agencies re, uh, treat that water and, and put it into either the groundwater for, for later use or into surface reservoirs. So we have lots of opportunities to be recycling and reusing water as well across the state.
1: Colby, do you have any thoughts on Dorothy's other point about needing oil increases in fracking, fracking and using more water But I think really at the heart of it are also just our constantly conflicting interests, um, hurting our ability to conserve. How do you manage that?
5: Yeah, fracking specifically, you know, I think that's kind of been brewing in the background, particularly in some of the upper basin states of the Colorado River, that that would be a major water use. Um, Thus far, we have not seen that. I don't know um, if that's because of the environmental regulations that are preventing that. Um, but we are not really seeing the impact of fracking within the Colorado River Basin. Um, That said, there's this push and pull when we look at the Colorado River, um, that's probably similar to some of the things um, in California watersheds, which is municipal water use on the river is 20 to 30% in any given year and agricultural use is 70 to 80%. Um, And we often focus on the lower priority water users, which are those municipal water users. But the magnitude of the problems that climate change is throwing at us is greater than what can be borne by the cities alone. You could get rid of all of the municipal water use on the Colorado River, and you would still have to take more cuts in order to deal with the future flows that climate change is going to give us. So in order for our watersheds to be sustainable, um, we can't just stand on the priority of people's water rights. We have to be looking at every sector and what every sector can do to be more efficient or we're not going to bring our water supplies in balance with our water demands.
1: Well, Dina writes, what are the guidelines for conserving water in my home if I do not have a lawn to water? I have heard some good suggestions on the radio this morning, but why doesn't the Water Authority present these in a usable format to both the homeowner and the renter? I am ready, willing, and able to conserve my water usage, but I need information and tools. Can you give Dina any tips, Heather?
2: Yeah. You know, I, I would check with your, your local water provider. Many of them on their websites have information about things that we can be doing. Um, we also statewide have a, a campaign, Save Our Water, which has lots of useful tools for people on their website. Um, so there are tools out there. I, I, I think we need to be doing more to get that information out. Um, and, and so it does require a little more looking now, but, but some of the sites that I mentioned, I think could, could be helpful.
1: Well, Patrick writes, I appreciate this important topic. Other listeners have brought up great points about the disparity between the heavy user and those already conserving. Another disparity is imposing restrictions equally to apartment dwellers, And homeowners, my husband and I are already conserving. We have a super efficient apartment. Not everyone has gardens. Not everyone has top load washers if they have washing machines at all. So imposing restrictions equally, do you also see that as a direction, Heather? And we just have about 20 seconds.
2: Well, you know, I do think in any community there are absolutely people that are doing a lot, but but some that are really doing nothing. Um, And so, you know... I think we need to be ensuring that those high water users are also reducing their use. And we can do that through penalties, for example. We can do that through other ways of targeting direct outreach to those to those groups. So we absolutely need to be making sure everyone, uh, including those higher users, are doing their part.
1: Heather Cooley of the Pacific Institute, Colby Pellegrino of the Las Vegas, Las Vegas Valley Water District, and Southern Nevada Water Authority. Thanks to both of you. Thanks to Susie Britton for producing this segment. Thank you, listeners, for listening. I'm Mina Kim.
0: Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.